This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Yo, yo, yo. It's Wednesday, January 4th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria DeVetti in Toronto. I'm Ryan Jesperson in Edmonton, and you are turbocharged on this first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah, 2023. Um, a big sort of, um, you know, a lot has happened in the last two weeks that we're going to sort of get to because yeah. we've been off for a bit. Um, I, I have to, even though I'm not a sports person, I think everyone knows that at this point. I'm particularly not really a football person uh, on top of it. But we have to talk about what happened on Monday night. Yeah, Demar Hamlin, uh, Buffalo Bills star, uh, down a cardiac. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it's a cardiac incident uh, that happened on the field. He collapsed on the field uh, it, following what looked to be kind of like just a, a standard tackle, like just your average, the average NFL play. Which, which let me offer that with the caveat that none of us mere mortals, none of us basic humans, have any understanding what the physical implications of the average NFL play or NFL yeah. collision would be. Uh, but but obviously a shocking aftermath as he goes down, collapses, and, and is, um, at the time that you and I are talking, uh, remains in a, in a coma, but, but some positive signs say the doctors uh, that are providing him, him care right now, the entire, I mean, the, the world is watching this story, Supreme. You don't see stuff like this happen. Are you a little bit surprised at that, actually? I am. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, so I was, you know, not necessarily, I wasn't watching the game, but um, on my Twitter feed that night, uh, everyone was basically talking about it. And it didn't matter whether they were a sports person or not. Um, if you were a news person, it was news. Um, and it was, you know, important news because, you know, 24 year old guy collapses on the field. Um, nine minutes, they're performing, you know, uh, CPR on him or, or trying to, you know, get him back. Um, his heart Heart did uh, come back, and you know he was he was taken off. And in in most instances, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like the NFL normally goes on with the game, do they not? Like yeah. it's, it's rare for them to, to sort of pull back and rare. postpone. Yeah, extremely rare. And 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 I think that I mean I I'm finding there there are conflicting reports on this. There's there's a lot of um, uh, you know speculation swirling around in a hundred different angles of approach to this story. And one of them is who made the call ultimately, or who dug in their heels on not continuing with that game. Um, some people are saying that it was the head coaches of both teams. A lot of people are saying it was the players defiantly uh, yeah. refusing uh, to take back to the field. And then of course a lot of people reading into how long the NFL may or may not have taken to make a decision to postpone that game. The game has implications, obviously. Skip Bayless, the, the controversial American sports commentator, uh, found himself up to, you know, uh, up to the shit, up to his eyeballs uh, for his, you know, noting that he was a little bit surprised that the game was going to be postponed, said that there are big implications to the game and people grinding his gears for that for good reason. But uh, man, oh man, this is, it, it's it, like to see, I know people are comparing it to the Chris Pronger incident. Long, feels like an eternity ago in the playoffs uh, that the hall of fame defenseman takes a slap shot to the chest yeah. hits him just in that i was gonna say the right spot hits him just in the wrong you know spot this kind of one in a million circumstance that that stopped his heart as well he made a full recovery 
that was game two. He was back in the series playing in game three, which is remarkable. The Hamlin story feels like it's a little bit different, uh, with the, the breathing tube and all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I he's mean, fully intubated, you know, so, as, yeah, a, as we're talking about this. You know, yeah. people with their hearts in their throats, like millions of people, and like you said, not all of them football fans. Yeah, and the other aspect to this, um, you know, in terms of you were pointing out a bunch of theories, there's a lot of fucking disinformation out oh, there yeah. as well, uh, claiming that this is because of... Uh, you know, vaccines for, for COVID, which Myocarditis, is just people are saying, yeah, which is just like an added layer of ghoulishness. I, I think as you know, DeMar Hamlin's family and his teammates and his friends and people who love him and know him and, you know, are really rooting for him to get better, um, are, have to be subject to that sort of shit. So, yeah. but, you know, I guess that's just the age we live in now. Well, and it's stupid. Like I, I've got a couple quick thoughts on this. I feel like, you know, you know how sometimes in life you got those things where you're like, I don't even want to give this airtime. I don't even want to yeah. give this attention, but also you feel like, you need to um you know people are gonna you know someone could be hit by a car in a crosswalk and 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 anti-vaxxers will make it about their vaccine <laughs> status right like it does it doesn't matter um it's 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 ridiculous it's disrespectful like you said but i'm not just trying to sit here on a pedestal I just, I just think it's idiotic i think it's moronic to be quite honest um you know you know the vancouver-based radio personality drex he's like you know 40 basically he's like barely into his midlife and and suffered a heart attack yeah. um, um, back in December, I talked to him and it was amazing. He had been openly, like many people with public platforms did through the course of the pandemic, encouraging people to get vaccinated. And so it was public knowledge that he was vaccinated. And of course, he's a public figure. So he has his haters and he has his critics and uh, he's not afraid to clap back at him, which can oftentimes exacerbate the problem. When he had his heart attack, there were people cheering for it. You know, there were people laughing. There were people that were applauding the fact that it proved 18 months after he was vaccinated, by the way, uh, that his heart attack was a result of that vaccine. And I talked to him about that. People can check out the interview in the Real Talk archives. But it just goes to show no low is too low, Sapria. Yeah. Um, you know what we need to do, though? Mm. We need to do a <laughs> chorus radio reunion episode where it's like oh, me, you, Drex, Adler, Adler. Daniel Smith. Daniel Smith can join us. Can you imagine? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, actually. That's a great <laughs> fucking idea. Let's do, let's do that in 2023. On. Seriously, <laughs> that would be unreal. We get the premier on. I'd like to put her and Adler together because he's not pulling any punches. Uh, he, he did you see? He officially endorsed the the one of Canada's most prominent conservative talk radio hosts in our nation's history. I'm yeah. talking Charles Adler on New Year's Eve endorses Rachel Notley unprompted. Uh, pretty wild stuff. <laughs> the the follow conservatives didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just occurred to me that that 2019 talk radio election panel. None of them. Are, none of us are there. Literally, anymore. none of us. Literally, <laughs> you, none. Me, Adler, Danielle. Yeah, you, me, Adler, yeah, Danielle. Yeah. One of us has gone on to become a Canadian premier, and, yeah. uh, and the, the other rest of us are still kicking about. <laughs> we're not sure what we're doing. <laughs> so, I heard Manitoba's having an election. Maybe there's an opening for one of us there. Yeah, that could be coming up later this year. Hey, so here, here's a story from uh, from your neck of the woods, right? The global ransomware operator issued an apology. This this is wild. I don't know if people are paying attention to it, but but offering to unlock data targeted in a ransomware attack on Toronto's hospital for sick children. Can you bring us up to speed on this? 
Yeah, so it's this uh, global ransomware group called Lockbit, and they offered what you know experts are saying is a super rare apology, um, and they're offering you know to settle things and, and get everything back for them. And the story in and of itself is super troubling, but you know it's a good reminder of how important it is to make sure your team gets proper training on cybersecurity, no matter what industry they're working in. Yeah, to say the very least, right? In fact, working with a training partner like our title sponsor, We Know Training, can help protect your business business from risks just like these. Their expert e-learning team designs training that actually changes behavior uh, so that your employees will retain and act on what they learn. Exactly. And we know training specializes in training for regulated industries, and they are just so much more than your regular standard LMS. Yeah, that's right. They do it all from creating to hosting to selling your courses uh, and even optimizing them to make sure that you see real business results. So if you need to train your team, they offer a scalable solution that's ideal for high stakes training that really matters. If you want to work with a training partner that truly understands your needs, has solutions to your challenges and delivers amazing value against your business goals, talk to We Know Training. You can visit their website at weknowtraining.ca. The lead. Your predecessor, Aaron O'Toole, has written a blog basically saying he would like to see fewer F. Trudeau flags. He says they are a symptom of a larger problem in which rage is being normalized, which in turn is hurting our democracy. I'd like your thoughts on those flags uh, and Mr. O'Toole's concerns that, again, rage is being normalized and hurting democracy. Well, I don't like the flags, um, and I don't like rage, but I think we have to ask ourselves, why are people so angry? Like, why are people so angry? And the answer is that they're hurting. You know, it's easy for, for you know, the, the political establishment to say, stop all your complaining. But when you're one of the 1.5 million people that, ate, that went to a food bank in the month of March, it's not so easy. If you're one of the people that went to the Mississauga food bank and asked for help with medical assistance and dying, not because you're sick, but because you can't afford to live, it's not so easy. If you're one of the... 38-year-olds living in your parents' basement because it now takes more of a, a monthly paycheck to own a house than at any time in recorded history, it's not so easy to be happy with the way things are going. So that was uh, during Pierre Polyev's uh, year-end presser, I guess, press conference that he gave, and he was peppered with a bunch of questions, that being one of them, uh, about Aaron O'Toole writing this uh, Substack post uh, that he did. It's called Disordered Liberty. Um, and, you know, he kind of gets into what he thinks is problematic about our current uh, political discourse, pointing out that these, you know, F. Trudeau flags that are you know, pretty much ubiquitous now nowadays um, are really hurting our, you know, our democracy, our discourse, how we can relate to one another. And he talks about how it is dangerous for, you know, the vast majority of reasonable people um, to become complacent about this sort of thing. And he goes into, you know, the far left and the far right, both equally contributing to the, you know, current environment. Um, and I don't know, like, okay, like there's, he makes a lot of good points. Um, and, you know, Pierre Polyev's answer to was very good as well to, to the question, right? Um, really good. But I think they're both full of shit. Like, well, of course I, they I just, are. They're politicians. They're all yeah, full yeah. of shit. Yeah, I mean, they're, they all are full of shit. I will, you know, concede that. Um, but like, it's like, does he not think he had any sort of role in the way our current political of environment has played he does. out? Like, 
Of course what? he does. Does yeah. he? Like, does he not know that? Like, so why put out that that blog post? It's like he didn't. He absolves himself completely of any responsibility. And look, I'm one of these people that I think if a politician has a change of heart or if they've realized something, um, then we should. Inf- you know, you know, I, I hate it when people are like, oh, he's a flip flopper. She's a flip flopper. It's like, no, fuck. Like they learned something, and we should all be welcoming the fact that they learned something, right? I think a very good example of that is um, Michelle Rempel Garner. Um, who in you know the last couple of years has been apologizing for the way conservatives have gone about the you know barbaric practices tip line, the niqab uh, citizen ceremony ban, um, you know, or ha- how the party dealt with the motion to condemn Islamophobia. Like that's a real sort of um, evolution, I think. Isn't in, it in wild? Thinking. Sorry to interrupt. Isn't it yeah. wild to see how Michelle Rempel Garner has gone from arguably the biggest rising star in the conservative party to a pariah like well yeah and i why do you think that is is it well, because know, she's speaking it, out about this shit well like, for sure but i'm just saying i'm just saying like hers was a change of course like i don't i don't see it the same as as like michael chong for whatever reason not be not not realizing that potential to be the next big conservative star i think it's like different reasons like chong has has plotted out and maintained a little bit more of a so-called pardon the reference progressive conservative path and 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 others have as well and then there have been some departures of like some huge names like i don't don't know like why john baird comes to you know as an example but like there's tons of them that we could invoke peter mckay john baird james moore ronna ambrose etc etc it said like exactly right like you could name a dozen um, but but Michelle Rempel was like was not that like she you know like when Jason Kenney had his sharp words and was elected and effectively campaigned you know 2017 and won that election in 2019 and she was like the big backer and it was like Kenney and Rempel and these conservative heavyweights and then and then all of a sudden she kind of had her own I don't know if it was like a what was it was it was it that she was down in the states and watching from afar and had a different lens on it I don't know what it was but I'd be curious I mean, to know yeah I don't really know either but I think it was just sincere listening um and i don't know if that makes me naive Maybe. but i you know i think she just heard what people had to say particularly those within the muslim community and was like mm. oh fuck okay um yeah all right you're talking about and that like, specific issue of the, the barbaric cultural I practices am. yeah sure i yeah. am i am and i mean you know michelle has arguably also led that party uh quite a bit when it comes to issues uh relating to the lgbtq community as well right yeah. so she's been uh a, a real champion for for those sorts of causes and like i don't know so back to Aaron <laughs> o'toole i mean i just think it's a little rich that the guy who you know couldn't win a leadership uh, campaign without him painting himself as a true blue candidate, you know, in that leadership race that he was railing against, you know, leftist campus culture and all these other culture war stuff that uh, he was importing from the States with the help of uh, a lot of, you know, digital backers like the Canada Proud team. Um, it's kind of rich to see him now being like, wow. What happened? Why are we all so angry? Um, and it's like, I just I just don't get it. And it's very similar to what Jason Kenney did um, in his resignation letter. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I actually think that's a perfect comparison. Uh, Jason Kenney lamenting the current state of politics just to me is like the, the richer than maple syrup. I, I just I just thought that that was absolutely comical. 
because I think he's arguably been the the, the biggest igniter uh, over the past five years. Uh, I mean, aside from from maybe like Jordan Peterson or somebody else, but I'm talking with actual but political he's not elected. players. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like in the in the arena of politics, he'd probably lay it at the feet of Kenny until uh, Pierre Polyev enters the chat. And uh, <laughs> and, and like, for for Pierre Polyev, I mean, I actually think that. His response to that question, it's number one, he didn't address, he wasn't talking about, you know, the F Trudeau flags. He could have taken it uh, in, in the direction of like decorum in politics or keeping it classy or, you know, it's not about what Trudeau is doing, it's what we would do and like provide a yeah. solution and the positive type of politicking that people indicate that they'd like to see, although the negative politicking seems to be the most effective. But of course, he, as effective leaders do, twists that or at least steers it over to fit the narrative that he's going to campaign on over the next couple of years. And it's very convenient uh, if you're an opposition politician, not to be so cynical, but it's very convenient if you're in recession and if mortgage rates are high and if people are underwater because you just need to point out the obvious uh, to get some pretty strong support. And that's exactly what he's going to continue to do. And he's doing it well. Yeah. And I mean, that line of turning, what is it, hurt into hope um, mm. that uh, the conservatives have now sort of glommed onto, I think is, is a good one, um, quite frankly. But I, I don't know. It's just this, you know, whether it's Kenny or whether it's O'Toole um, or whether it's just like regular, you know, uh, political panel here and there talking about the far left and the far right as though they pose some sort of equal level of threat to our democracy is just absurd. And that's both what O'Toole and and Kenny have done. It's I've sat on countless political panels where that is the the you know the the dominant sort of narrative. Um, and I just don't know why this needs to even be said. But like if you are uh, indigenous and you're fighting for access to your unceded land, that's not the fucking same thing as a bunch of people throwing the world's largest hissy fit because they didn't want to wear a mask or get vaccinated during a pandemic. Right. Mm. And so I've said this before effective polarization is indeed a thing and it is increasing and that's bad because it you know harms our political discourse and it's clearly getting worse um but if we can't even recognize that in our current predicament that the threat is coming uh that it's worse when it's coming from the far right because you know they're way more mobilized they're way more organized um and they certainly uh have ties to some worrying way more worrying groups then like we're not ever going to be able to solve the problem because we can't even you know have an honest conversation about what the problem even is. Can can I also just maybe touch on something that that might be obvious but maybe it's not and that's that you know when in the context of F Trudeau flags I don't know why we're not saying fuck we have a podcast we can say yeah, fuck true. if we yeah. want so fuck let, fuck, let, fuck, 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 yeah. fuck 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 frickin' Trudeau frickin' anyway <laughs> I digress but to automatically say well why are people so angry because uh, they're hurting and because mortgage payments are stinging or they're inaccessible, property ownership dreams are evaporating or they're utilizing the food bank. That's why they're so angry. Like anger is not the de facto emotion for experiencing challenges in life, right? And, and I'm not a, yeah. a psychologist and, and I'm not trying to be Brene Brown here, but I'm, I'm just saying that, that oftentimes you experience anger when you are being led to believe uh, that that factors at play are the fault of somebody else and you believe the source of that allegation or the source of that information to be credible and so you believe that to be the truth 
and so the, the the more the more the more strongly that Pierre Polyev campaigns on the Trudeau Notley Singh alliance, or the more that he talks about just inflation or these types of things, people that are experiencing global factors at play uh, with things like cost of borrowing and inflation and everything else are going to believe that it is specifically the fault of Justin Trudeau. And so, damn straight, fuck Trudeau. But if you ask the average person with a fuck Trudeau sticker or flag on their truck or, or from their home or whatever else, exactly what it is that Justin Trudeau has specifically done to create the circumstance that they find themselves in, I'm not sure that you would get a lot of intellectually fueled answers. No, but I bet you'd get a lot of conspiracy theory, disinformation, peppered answers. And then you have to ask yourself, where are the folks getting this information from? And like, how is this information being propagated? And of course, a lot of that has to do with social media and algorithmic bubbles and the filtering of our reality and, you know, folks having uh, basically living in, in, in different realities at, at this point um, and it only getting worse. And you have politicians that it really take advantage of that fact. And that's not getting us uh, any nearer to a solution to this problem. The only thing we've seen, though, that's guaranteed is that in this climate, anger can win elections. Also, there's this. All right. So I, I promise to be honest with you every episode. And my confession here, uh, well, number one, I did what I set out to do, uh, and that was steer as, as far clear as I could from devices and, and online chatter and all that through the holidays. Um, and so like, I, I had a basic working knowledge of what was leading the headlines, but, but I'm going to be honest, Supri, I don't really understand this whole Andrew Tate story. To be really honest with you, I barely know who he is. Yeah. Um, he, to me, is some guy that bragged that he had 33 cars, called out Greta Thunberg. Uh, she basically murdered him on Twitter. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, he's in the custody of Romanian police facing like charges that are no laughing matter, including human trafficking. I honestly have no idea what's going on. Can you get us up to speed? Yeah, um, that's that's a pretty good synopsis. But so what happened was on December 29th, uh, Andrew Tate, who's like this manosphere influencer, blogger, whatever, uh, was detained by Romanian authorities on sex trafficking and rape charges. So very, very, very serious, very serious charges. And this right. was right after he had basically gone after Thunberg for some reason. Um, and as you mentioned, she basically murdered him in front of the entire internet. Um, and <laughs> I'm not super familiar with him. Uh, he, I, I know a little bit about him. He's a former kickboxer. He basically found a lot of infamy online as one of these like top influencers in this uh, toxic male ecosystem that make up that manosphere that I was talking about, you know, that, that really pump out a lot of misogynistic and anti LGBT anti anti LGBTQ content aimed at younger millennial and uh, Gen Z men um, or Gen Z, I guess if we're in Canada. Um, oh, and go. like he was banned from Twitter in 2017 because he said that women should bear responsibility for being sexually assaulted. Um, of course, Elon reinstated his uh, Twitter account in November when he took over the platform. Uh, he's been banned at various points uh, throughout the last few years from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok for, you know, making very similar anti-women remarks. Um, some of the things that he said is that, you know, women uh, belong in the home. Uh, they are men's property. They shouldn't be allowed to drive a car. He said he prefers to date uh, 18 year olds because they're more impressionable and easier to, you know, uh, are much more sexually submissive. Um, 
so yeah, like not very good. But uh, to your point about really not really knowing who he is or me not necessarily knowing a ton about him, um, it's because we're not his audience. Um, you know, we're not the the the, dem- the demo that he's seeking out. But I can assure you that if you are a you know, 12, thir- 12 to like six, 17 year old male um, or female, you know, you know who the fuck this guy is. Um, and that I think is, is really uh, dangerous because if older folks don't know who he is, but all the younger folks do, how should we actually be talking to young boys about masculinity? Um, because it certainly shouldn't be from guys on the internet like this guy. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, this is like such a huge wake up call. And, and I know that I'm, I'm kind of captain obvious on this one. But when, when I see, you know, you hear about attitudes like these, or I appreciate your background and in, in giving us sort of a, a sense of some of the things he's said and positions he's taken. And then you look at the size of the audience that a person like this has, and it just freaks huge. me out, you know, yeah. and I, and those are those are one of the things I like I said, I know this is an obvious thing to say, but th- that's one of the things I really wrestle with is, is like, who are these people? And and what is this audience and what drives? So, I mean, I'm I'm sure that there's some in some circumstances almost like a morbid curiosity, right? Like I follow some people on Twitter I don't agree with per se, but this this feels different. This feels like well, almost like a like a like a prophet and disciple type relationship that you're describing. Yeah, I mean it is. And if you look at some of the disinformation and conspiracy theories that have uh, now cropped up online because of his uh, you know charge and arrest, it's like. It's it is very much that um, people do treat him like a bit of a prophet. And there's this weird sort of relationship there. Um, and it's it's troubling. And in terms of like how he has the reach that he does, I mean, part of it is you may be morbid curiosity, but, you know, we don't really know because none of these social media platforms or platforms like YouTube actually share how any of their algorithms work. Um, but we know from, you know, at least a, a few academic um, in, in investigations and, and journalistic investigations in, into this that like the algorithms are a huge problem. Um, so if it knows, if YouTube knows or if TikTok knows or if, you know, whatever knows that you are a 14 year old boy um, looking up, I don't know, tricks for a video game or whatever it is that 14 year old boys may look up on YouTube, um, you do end up getting fed with this sort of content. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's why when Pierre Polyev a few months ago uh, was found to have been using that MGTOW tag, that men going their own way tag, um, that hidden tag on his YouTube videos for the last like four years. Um, and he eventually stopped doing it once he was called out for it. But um, you know, it's to capitalize on these sorts of audiences. And, you know, it was for it was done for a reason. And and it's I don't know, it's it's very weird that we're not talking about this yeah. uh, more and why it's so problematic. And, you know, quite frankly, if you are the, the conservatives, um, you should be just as concerned about this sort of thing as uh, anyone would be on the uh, left side uh, of, of the spectrum. Right. And, and we're not really seeing that. Yeah. Um, would, would you agree that the that whole story, because it was a FOIP request, right, that that, that what, what ultimately blew the doors off that story that the Polyev team had been using that MGTOW hashtag on their YouTube videos? It was it was it was like a deep dive, right? It was investigative journalism. It wasn't like because it, it wasn't like a visible tag, as I understand it. No, you had to go into the video source code. Yeah. Um, and, see it. yeah. And, and actually, I might argue i mean just based on and again i just have a surface level understanding of, of of the allegations that that dr jordan peterson's making right now with regards to his his license to practice is is this right is a psychiatrist in ontario the college is saying yes psychologist to take, yeah yeah he's he's got a psychologist yeah, he's got to take like social media re 
training something or he's going to lose his whatever for things he's been saying. And and he blows the doors off that uh, <laughs> describes his breaking news yesterday from his Twitter account. But it, it, you saw who chimed in, right? Like Elon Musk comments on that and it becomes this big thing. And of course, that's a big win for Jordan Peterson. And I almost wonder if that MGTOW hashtag story for Pierre Polyev is like, you know, when you get ordered by your employer for folks that are still working for the man to like <laughs> pull down a tweet and you don't mind doing it because the tweet already trended, it already did its work. Like the MGTOW tag did its work already for Pierre Polyev. And now the fact that he's got to take it down, it's almost more of like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do you yeah. agree? Yeah, I do. I do agree. And it's problematic. My, the smile on my face is that I was once told to take out a tweet about Danielle, an article Danielle Smith had wrote. And we were Ooh. both at Chorus and I did not. Um, but we can save that for another time. Um, I was one, I was once ordered to pull down a tweet about Mike Lindell and my pillow. Uh, um, oh, fuck. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can imagine how thrilled they were there. when I. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I digress. Water under the bridge now. We wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for getting fired. So uh, no, at no, least me getting sure. fired. You quit. Uh, you left of your own volition, which is a bit of a different story. Can we shout out your piece in, in the star? People can check it out. The star.com. I mean, it. yeah, I don't think it's it's too far of a leap based on what we were just talking about to to your piece that came out on the eve of New Year's Eve. Stop prioritizing the profits of big tech over the mental and physical health of our kids. What would you like people to take from this? I mean, the main thing is that in 2023, uh, at some point, we're going to see online harms legislation be introduced and be tabled. And I just think the way we talk about it needs to get away from the surface level bullshit of any sort of regulation or any sort of reining in of big tech over our lives as like controlling the Internet or censorship, because it's it's just wrong. Um, and when you we're talking about something as serious as uh, the way you people receive information and the sort of, you know, way it has the impacts that it has and the harms that it causes the actual legitimate harms that, 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 that these, you know, algorithms can, can, can hold. I mean, like I've, I've mentioned this before, but um, you know, it's been found uh, from a journalistic investigation that like, if you set up a TikTok, a TikTok account within minutes, you can be bombarded with like uh, self-harm content or uh, posts on, on eating disorders. And like, this is, this is, it's, I don't know, like we're, we're not uh, talking about this in the right way. I think the conservatives have very successfully um, managed to muddy the the waters and, and managed to like make this about censorship and about controlling the internet. Um, and I think a lot of that, again, is is quite frankly bullshit. And we need to just talk about this sort of stuff better. And we need to also acknowledge that Canada isn't alone on this. The EU has already acted on this stuff and the UK is in the throes of getting something done about this. And in the US, they're also talking about this in a much more bipartisan and serious way uh, than they have in the last like, you know, few years. So this is where it's moving because um, the reality is that we can no longer ignore the harms that big tech has unfurled upon us. And yet in Canada, for some reason, um, we're just like, censorship internet right you know and it's just i don't know it's just annoying i know but but again it comes back to what we talked about earlier you know what what once the conversation moves from how can we protect our kids and and, and what do reasonable uh expectations of transparency look like from big tech once the conversation moves from that which is a bipartisan or nonpartisan conversation over to justin trudeau wants to control what you can yeah. say on the internet then it's a completely different tone. And we ask ourselves, why is everybody so angry?
I appreciate you putting that on our radar. It's a great piece. People can check it out at thestar.com. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, of course, uh, independent conversations in media happen as well because of your support and both Sapri and I are so grateful. Thanks for listening and downloading to this episode of Seriously. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. And of course, people can check out our website too. Yeah, seriouslypod.com. And you can always uh, check us out or send us email at talk at seriouslypod.com. We're on Supriya and Ryan at Twitter and seriouslypod on Instagram. Yeah, that's it. You did the whole gamut. Yeah, we covered it. It's nice to see your face again. And we'll talk to you again in a week. Sounds good, buddy. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwivedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Turlego. General manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tangi. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com.